Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. I just want to begin by, by reading the entire chapter just to, to put it in our minds. All right? Leviticus 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day that you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slander among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a, a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man and not ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for a sin that he has committed. And he should be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. And when you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. 
You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall not stand up before the you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of the old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. This passage is filled with commands. Uh, in fact, I counted them this week, and I encourage you to do that in the weekly word. I came up with 53 commands in 37 verses. 53 commands in 37 verses. Now, if you're a math whiz, even if you're not a math whiz, you should figure out that 53 commands in 37 verses means more than a command every verse. Indeed, there's, there's only one verse in this entire chapter which isn't either a command or an explanation behind the command. It comes there in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, other than that, the entire chapter, every verse is, has some connection to a command or an exhortation or an explanation. I trust then that you can see the reasoning behind the title of my message this morning, Exhortations to Holiness. Exhortations to Holiness. I could have entitled it 53 Exhortations to Holiness and then had 53 points to my message. Now, I thought about that. Um, in fact, even as I listen, one of my ways I, I prepare for message, I listen to a ton of sermons on my passage. And uh, even as I kind of cued some up to, to look at them, there were many sermons in Leviticus 19 that focused just on one verse. So a verse on the, a sermon on the verses talking about tattoos, right? A, a verse on uh, talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, and and so on. Just just focusing on on one kind, one verse. And, and each of these verses, each of these 53 points could be expanded, but that's not our point this morning. Our point this morning is to do a flyover, get a high picture of what's happening in this passage. And the main burden of this passage is is holiness, purity, righteousness. Being set apart. And of all the exhortations, this one exhortation stands out. It's in verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, you should recognize that verse. That is the theme that we've pulled out of Leviticus, it's just right there, the, the fiery judgment and wrath of God. And, and yet here it is, you shall be holy. 
God's presence to be a holy, righteous person. And, and really, that's, that's the whole scope of Leviticus. It's this whole purpose is that we would be holy people. And in fact, even in chapter 19, that is the whole purpose of all the commands. They, they all, in one way or another, funnel back to this command in verse 2 that you should be holy for I am holy. God is calling us and God was calling Israel to a holy life. And in chapter 19, the commands in there are, are merely an explanation, a description of what it means to be a holy life, a practical example of what it means to be holy. And seemingly no area of life is untouched. Verse three speaks about parents and children. Verse four speaks about idol worship. Verses 5 through 8 speaks about the manner of sacrifice, particularly the peace offering and how it's to be carried about. Verses 9 through 10 speak about how you should harvest your crops. Verse 11 speaks about dealing with your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor or, or lie about them. Verse 13, verse even 12 speaks about not swearing by God's name. Verse 13 speaks about not oppressing your neighbor. Verse 14, not cursing your neighbor. Verse 16, don't slander your neighbor. Verse 19, don't hate your neighbor. Verse 18, don't take vengeance or don't bear a grudge, but rather love your neighbor. Verse 15, skip that. Don't be fair and just with them in all their ways. Um, this chapter addresses animals, how you care for animals and the types of clothes you can wear and the types of clothes you can't wear. It addresses slaves. It addresses entering the land of Canaan. It addresses blood and fortune tellers and how you need to wear your hair and what to do with your skin or what not to do with your skin. It talks about dealing with daughters. It talks about dealing with a sanctuary. It speaks about the elderly and the foreigner and the way that you do business. I mean, seemingly all areas of life are addressed in this chapter. And all these things describe how it is that God wants us to live how it is particularly in the context there, how he wants the Jews to live. But, but it's not so much that God wants, wants you to live that way. It's that there's a purpose behind that. And if you live that way, you will reflect in some way the God you worship. We all become like who we worship. If we worship the Lord, this is the way that we should become. And in fact, in fact look, at, look at how it says here in verse 2. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God isn't calling us to a different standard other than what He is. He is holy, and therefore we should be like Him. Now, who of us can be like God? Well, ultimately, we can't. But in some ways, following the instructions of Leviticus 19, Israel was to be like God. It's shine us a light to the people of, of the world and live in a different way than the world. Last week, we looked at chapter 18 about how they're supposed to be different than Egypt they left from. and They're supposed to be different than Canaan, the land to which they were going. And I trust that you can see the reasoning again behind my, my title this morning. It's not merely exhortations, 53 exhortations, but it's exhortations to holiness. Exhortations to holiness. That's everywhere that it is headed. It's an exhortation to a pure life. That is what the book is about. That's what Leviticus is about. And, and, and here, just let's stop and sit, sit, step back a little bit. We, we've been going through Leviticus, and some of you have enjoyed it. Some of you have not enjoyed it so much. But here, the whole purpose of it has been to draw us to a holy life. And if we get through the 
the book of Leviticus and we're living the same way that we lived the beginning at the end, it's like we've totally missed the book of Leviticus. It's all in vain. Unless God does something with us and He drives us to, to live a pure life before Him. In fact, this exhortation is exactly applicable. 1 Peter 1, 14-16. I remind you again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. That's the, the overarching command of this Bible, of this book. It's the overarching command of Leviticus 19 in this Holiness Code section. And it is still applicable to us. It was applicable in Peter's day to the first century church after the cross. And it is applicable to us that we would be holy. We're to be a distinct people. And, and, and being distinct covers not just Sunday morning, but as, as we went through Leviticus 19, it covers all of our lives. It's not merely what happens in this place on Sunday mornings. We sing songs and we pray and we hear the word. But it also happens Monday evening when you come home after a hard day's work. It also happens on Tuesday at work when your boss is unreasonable. It happens on Wednesday morning when your kids are crabby all day long. And they're just getting at you, grating on your nerves. It happens Thursday afternoon when you take your weekly trip to the grocery store and you mix and mingle. It happens on Friday night after the children go to bed, what you choose to do. It happens during your leisure on Saturday afternoon and what it is that you choose to do with your children. And I just ask you, is your behavior holy during all these times? Are you 24-7, 365? I mean, if anything that Leviticus 19 teaches us, it teaches us that God is concerned for our behavior at all times in all ways. From our attitudes toward our parents, toward our dealings with our daughters. From our actions towards our neighbors, to our practices at work. God is calling us to to live lives that are, are completely devoted to Him with all of our heart for all of our lives. And I just, again, I want to weigh this balance, right, between God's calling us to this and, and, and we can't be that. In fact, one of my purposes this morning is to show you just how, how vast Leviticus 19 is and how far we do fall short. And as the Lord convicts you, I just encourage you to, to repent and cry out to God for strength, for ways in which you lack. The grace that saved you will be the same grace that forgives you, that makes you right with the Lord. And before we dig into the chapter, I want you to notice how the Lord gives motivation to these commands. Um, because this is key. If, if you miss the motivations, then all of a sudden it just becomes an external list of things to do. But there's a, a motivation here. And it, it comes in the, the refre- repeated phrase, I am the Lord. And in fact, it's more about half the times it says, I am the Lord, your God. If you count all those verses up there, it's 15 times. And if you heard when I read it, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over again. You say, why 15 times in this chapter is it repeated? For emphasis. That we might really know that, that, that God is making this point. 
that he is the one commanding these things. And the point here about him saying that I am the Lord is is to say that I'm not some disinterested, cold potentate. I'm the Lord, the, the one who, who, who loves and cares for Israel, the, the one who made a covenant with Abraham, your forefather, the one who redeemed you from slavery in Egypt, the one who has promised to bring you into the promised land, the one who has vested interest in you. That's who this Lord is. In fact, this phrase, if you notice the Lord is in all capital letters. That means Yahweh. Better translated might be, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God. And Yahweh comes from the, the, the verb meaning being. I am is literally what it means. You remember when God appeared to Moses, he said, I am who I am. He said, say this people of Israel, I am has sent you. Yahweh being is, is has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this people of Israel, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And that's what he's saying every time he says, I'm the Lord. When he says a command, he says, remember, I'm the one, I am the Lord who made this covenant with Abraham. And I'm the God of Isaac and Jacob, and I am your God. That's the one. I'm the one who's calling you. And when the Lord appeared to Moses on the mountain, Look what that says, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when the Lord passed by him and proclaimed, here's how God described himself, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's where we find our grace today, that God is one who's slow to anger, that God is one who abounds in faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But He'll by by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And and today, that's just a warning to us, lest we just say, ah, I don't need holiness because I'm forgiven in Christ. He says, no, I'm going to repay the guilty. I'll take vengeance, God says. But He's merciful and lavish with loving kindness and grace to those who turn and repent. And every time He said, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, what would come up in Israel's mind is this very fact that that God is a merciful and gracious and redeeming God. In fact, look at the very end of the chapter, verse 36. Just right there, the last half of the verse. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who's rescued you. I'm the one who's cared for you. And that is this God who is calling you to holiness. The one who has rescued you, redeemed you in Christ. In fact, that's why we obey the Lord in every way. Now, there is another aspect to this I am the Lord. It's also this authoritative aspect of these commands. For sure, that God has all the authority to demand our obedience, right? Like the, the mother who demands her obedience because she's the mom. I'm the mommy, that's why. And you know what? It's interesting. That, that attitude can get results. Children will obey that mommy. But oftentimes, obedience to that mommy will be cold and heartless. Compliant externally but often can develop a resentful heart. Though that's there, 
God doesn't want an obedience that's merely external. He wants an obedience from the heart. And I believe that here the refrain, Leviticus 19, of, of I am the Lord, I am the Lord, comes with authority, but it also comes with an authority with love. Because of everything that Yahweh means. Because I'm a, a faithful God. And here's how the Bible often speaks. And here's what he's saying. He says, because I love you, that's why. Not because I'm the mommy, that's why. It's because I love you, that's why. And so he says, when I am the Lord, I love you. That's why you should behave in this way. He cares for us. He's faithful to us. And if you look through all of these, whether they're applicable to us not or exactly, they're all good for us. They're all good for Israel. And I would encourage you, just, just sidelight, to live like this. Call your kids to obey you because... You love them. That's why. When your kids ask, as they do, as they grow up, why? 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 You can either say, well, because I'm the dad. Or you can say, because I love you. That's why. And there's certainly both wrapped up in that, but I would encourage you to parent in this way. Love your children with faithful love. Be consistent with your children. And call your children to obedience. Not not simply because you're... Oh, authority over them, but because you love them and want the best for them. You say, children, obey because I am your father and I love you and I want the best for you. Husbands, do the same with your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Give yourself up for your wives and love your wives into submission. Right? So convince them that you love them, they'll willingly follow you wherever you go. Don't force them with your authority. Don't bring your authority into it, but rather bring your love into it. Just say, honey, I think this is where we need to go because I love you and I think this is best for you. And whenever you're in a position of authority, do the same. In in Mark 10, Jesus said this, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. He says, but it should not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As believers in Christ, this is our motive. It's not that we lord it over ever in a position of authority. It's that Christ, the one who could demand everything, who will someday demand everything, he became a servant of all and he ransomed us and bought us and purchased us. And he said, so you do the same as I did. In fact, that's how we live. Second Corinthians 5.15 He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Is it, is it Christ died on our behalf so we should love and submit ourselves to Him and follow Him in every way? And I think that's all wrapped up in that repeated phrase, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. As it says in verse 37, this is why. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules to do them, for I am the Lord. Now, the question for us here in Leviticus 19 has to do with the specifics, okay, the the details. In other words, which of the commands of Leviticus 19 are applicable to us and which of the commands of Leviticus 19 are not applicable to us, but they were applicable to the Israelites, but because of Christ... Because we're not under a theocracy like, like they were. They lived before the cross in a theocracy. 
how much of Leviticus 19 is applicable to us. And it's really a question of all 53 commands. Now, for sure, there are some that are not applicable to us, like verses 5 through 8 that speak about the peace offerings. When we went through the peace offerings in chapter 3, we saw that that was fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the one who gives us peace all the way around. And we offer thankfully to Verses 20 through 22, it speaks about sinful actions towards slaves and how to make things right with a guilt offering. Again, there's slaves. We don't have slaves in our culture. And we, and, uh, we don't need to make sacrifice to atone for the, the sin of this wrong dealing. Those are obvious. There are some in Leviticus 19 that aren't applicable to us. And there are others which are a bit more difficult to determine. Like, for instance, uh, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest, don't reap clear to the end, but leave room for the... Um, for the reapers to come, the poor to come and take. Should the farmers, great here Midwest, should they like kind of swing around the edges so that people can come and take that? Should a Christian farmer do that? It's more of a question. Or what about verses 23 through 25 when entering the promised land? Your fruit trees that you plant. Right? First three years, destroy the fruit. Fourth year, offer it up to the Lord. Fifth year, you can eat the fruit. Now, why that's command is, I'm not sure, but I know that that's a command because God loved Israel. Is that applicable to us? Or what about tattoos in verse 28? What about trimming your beard? Verse 27. What about your clothing material? What about this polyester cotton mix? Is that okay? And, you know, it's interesting that, that these questions can tend to dominate. Um, they can tend to be focused. And, and it was interesting, at, at our small group, we went over this passage last Sunday evening. That's where most of our conversation was, was about these kind of conversations, these kind of, like, is this, is this applicable or not? Or how does this apply? And, and that, that's right, because we're kind of digging in the text and those are the, quest, those are the verses that have the question. But at the end of the day, those are the sort of verses that, I don't want to say don't matter, but I'll say matter less. What really matters is the verses that we know that are applicable to us, that do come straight to us. In fact, one can easily argue that every single one of the Ten Commandments appear here in Leviticus 19. Some are a bit of a stretch, but you you could push it. And in fact, most of these commands, most of the commands of Leviticus 19 are repeated in the New Testament. So of these 53, I counted them up, I think came about with 33, maybe something like that, are explicitly said in the New Testament that we are to do or not to do these things. So this morning, rather than focusing on the debatable things, I'm going to focus on these things that are directly applicable to us, that have New Testament backing, that come straight to us, and push them towards you and just say, how's your holiness? Let's, let's not worry about the different, the different claws in our are closed. Let, let's worry about loving our neighbors herself. All right? Let's major on the majors. Let's minor on the minors. And so as I thought about outlining this this morning, I found no way to outline it. It's just here and there and scattered abroad. I mean, if you could pick up any outline here, you'd pick up on those 15 I am the Lord statements, 15 different paragraphs. But within the paragraphs, things are different. And relating one to another, I, I just found it impossible to try to outline. So I'm going to do what Jesus did when he was asked what the great commandment of the law was. You remember that? When, when he said, Jesus, what's the great commandment of the law? He said, the great commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, you, you can take all the Bible and sum it up. It's either a love for God command or it's a love for man command. And this is the greatest commandment in all the Bible. In fact, the love for man command comes right here. We're going to end with that uh, this morning. Um, we come about loving your brother, loving your neighbor. But loving God and loving others. That's my outline this morning. Do you love God? Do you love others? It's interesting, in Leviticus 19, there are a few verses that address this vertical aspect, do you love God? And a lot of verses that address this horizontal aspect, do you love others? And so we'll spend a little bit of time in the whole loving God section, and then we'll spend a lot more time loving your neighbor, trying to apply it. Um, But as I go through here, I just thought maybe the best way so I can't hit all 53 in detail or, or just hit one. I, I thought, let me, just, let me just kind of go through some and ask you some penetrating questions and may the Spirit work in your heart where you need to change things. I want to ask you, do you love God? Do you really love God? Is He your supreme joy? A man who loves his wife will want to be in his wife's presence. A, a wife who loves her husband will want to be in his presence. And they will delight. They'll be most happy when they're in the presence. Do you long to be in the presence of God? It's a reflection of your love for God. If you don't have a desire for prayer, if you don't have a desire for the Word, it comes from your desire, your love for God, to meet with Him. Do you love God? Do you, do you have idols in your life? Verse 4, Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Now, of course, we're beyond the day of physical idols, of, of um, molten, whatever, bronze or iron or wood. Um, we're, we're beyond those days, but we have plenty of idols in our land. Idols of technology. Idols of wealth. In fact, in Colossians in chapter 3, it says greed is idolatry. And in America, we have idols of wealth all across our land. Is wealth an idol to you? We have idols of pleasure and leisure. My daughter saw that with Campus Crusade for Christ. She spent this week down in uh, Florida um, on the beaches going out every day and sharing the gospel with uh, people out there. And, and she said, so I talked with her and I'm hoping to have a report for the weekly word for you, but, but she said she walked out there and it's a cesspool of, of B.O. and beer is kind of what it smelled like. And just just... Uh, carousing and everyone looking for their own pleasures. They're on their spring break for vacation. That's just a picture of it. But your pleasure in your leisure might be a little bit different. Do you, do you idolize your leisure time? Do you idolize pleasure? Do you idolize your entertainment? Are there idols that you have? They have a grip on your, on your life. And, and for all of you, it's different. Some of you have more wealth than others. Some of you have more opportunities for pleasure than others. Some of you have more leisure than others. Some of you are attracted to different kinds of entertainment than others. It's all, I'm just saying, is there anything in your life? What if that went away? That's often not times you can see if it's an idol. If it, if it goes away, how are you doing? Because if you, if you can't, if you've got to have it back, it's an idol. You can't, can't stand it letting go, it's an idol. All right, well, how about your words? Verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name 
of your God. I am the Lord. Listen, right? Whenever you speak the name of God, you speak it with reverence. To honor the Lord is to speak well of Him. You honor your parents by speaking well of your parents. And I think a good test is this. When you're surprised or something happens, what comes out of your mouth? Do you ever say, oh my God, in surprise? Now, I know many Christians use this expression, particularly out west in California, where Avon and I have been and met. And if you're one of them, I, I would just encourage you to think through that phrase of what you say. You're just saying in the triviality of like, oh my God. Like, you're just invoking God. Now, I remember one time I brought this up and I had wrath of people in the congregation tell me I was wrong at bringing it up. And I, I just think if you're going to vote God at trivial times of your life, just, just, just change your verbiage, change something, something else so that that's not coming out of your mouth. All right. Well, how about, oh my gosh. You're saying the same thing with a different word. You're playing semantics and word games. Same thing. Do something else. Just every time you use God's name, use it in reverence. How about verse 26? You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You ever seen a fortune teller? Probably not. Maybe. Maybe you've been there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but how about this? Where do you go for guidance? When people go to fortune tellers or omens, they're, they're always seeking some guidance. They're always seeking some sort of help. Where are you going? You're seeking help. Do you turn to secular wisdom of the day? Do you turn to some book for help? Or do you turn to the Word of God? Do you turn to wise counselors? Rather than seeking fortune tellers, right? how about... How about finding godly, wise people who've walked with the Lord for years and seeking them and their counsel because they'll be saturated with the Word of God? Where do you turn? How, about How much of God's wisdom did you seek this week? How much of God's Word did you read this week? That, that's what it means to, to seek the right thing rather than seeking the other thing for direction. See, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to seek Him for wisdom. Verse 30 speaks of worship, right? You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, when we get ahead, I think it's, it's chapter 23 that's going to talk about a lot of the feasts and festivals. Some of those aren't, aren't binding. They're not binding on us today. And the Sabbaths, it's another question. I won't totally get into that, but we're obviously not Sabbatarians because we didn't meet yesterday. But the principle stands. How's, how's your worship, right? You worship when you gather. Sabbaths are oftentimes times of rest, times of gather. You come with a heart ready to sing and, and a mind ready to pray and an eagerness to obey as you hear God's Word. But now, how about, how about Monday? How's your worship? You're worshiping the Lord in your home? You're seeking Him daily? Are you praying constantly? I think that's the kind of a thing that, that comes from a heart that loves the Lord. Well, do you love God? How about this? Do you love others? Second point, do you love others? And this is where the majority of Leviticus 19 focuses. And in fact, I just want to look at one section 
beginning here at verse 11. We're just going to work, work right on through here until verse 18. Just kind of letting this bring up. I think there are other things that we could equally bring up at the end of the chapter, but I thought this would be a nice place to bring up. But, but here it is, verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. I mean, all these commands come straight through the New Testament. I can find a New Testament verse for each one of these. These are the eighth and ninth commandment. Don't steal, right? If it's yours, don't take it. Lying, dealing falsely. If it's not true, don't say it. Have you stolen from your neighbor? Now, my suspicion is that few of you would have ever gone to your neighbor's place and broke in the back window and taken something out of there for yourself. Um, but are there things that you've borrowed that are still in your garage? You might as well borrow permanently is to steal, all right? Maybe it's time to return some items. You've stolen from your workplace doing personal business on company time. And, and here you need to be careful because if, you, if your boss gives you the leeway in that, there's something free about that. Or making personal copies in your company copier. If your company has that policy, that's okay. I mean, it, but doing things that it's just your, your company, you've got to have permission to do all those things. Using company resources for your own good, it's the companies you're basically stealing. Have, have you done that? Are you doing that? What about have you ever lied? Are you in the habit of lying? How about this? Are you in the habit of just stretching the truth a little bit? Maybe not, not being straightforward with the truth. It's an easy thing to do. Right? You ask, and, and again, semantics, you break words down. I, was, I told the truth, but maybe you weren't straightforward in the truth, and maybe you caught the letter of the law but missed the spirit of the law. You ever stretch the truth? Your kids, your spouse, your boss. Are you truthful in all your ways? I think that's, that's what it's, it's calling us to do here, is that um, not lying to one another. In verse 12, we, we talked about that already, swearing by my name falsely and profaning the name of God. Let's look at verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Now, my guess is, again, that none of you ever robbed a neighbor, right? You haven't gone... A, at, at gunpoint and say, give me your wallet. It's kind of what we think about here. Or you haven't walloped them over the head or beat them up or whatever to take, take their wallet. But it's, it's taking something that is rightfully his and taking it for yourself. Um, and particularly here, even not paid someone you hired. And, and this, in a day laborer society, it says if you have it, you pay it. If you don't have it, don't hire the guy but you should hire him and, and pay him right there. You made a promise like the check is in the mail, but not sent it. Or maybe the check is in the mail and then only later sending it. It's, it's deceit. It's not, it's not paying. It's, it's robbing because someone does work and it's their, their do their wages. That's the right way to live. Is to You hire someone, they do a duty for you, you promptly pay. How about verse 14? This is a, um, it's kind of a funny verse. Verse 14. You shall not put the, curse the deaf 
or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Right? That's a, a simple, practical thing. Now, my guess is that none of you have ever done this before. I just, just whoop. Seeing the blind man, right, trip down. Um, but I, I think you can apply this in, in many different ways. You can apply it, obviously, to the disabled. Uh, you can apply it to the vulnerable. Uh, funny story about, about this picture here. I remember being a little guy, probably David's age, and I was in Sunday school class, I remember, and uh, we were up singing probably, Alleluia, 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 praise ye the Lord. And I remember just kind of someone sitting down, and I whoop, took the chair out. And that person, that little kid, and then it kind of fell down, and I just, I just, at that, at that moment, was blind, sitting on the chair, blind, and it says here, don't, don't trip the blind. Now, you've got to understand pranks and love and, and things like that. I think there's room for that. But if someone is really, really blind, you need to help them. If someone really is disabled, do you make fun of them? It's not their fault they're born with Down syndrome. It's not their fault that they're born with a, a deformed hand. It's not their fault that they speak with a speech impediment. You ever imitated and mocked somebody's speech impediment? Remember doing that? Or do you make efforts to help the disabled? Do you, do you fight for justice when justice must be fought? Do you fight for the unborn? It's not their fault they haven't been born yet. How about this, just regarding the deaf? When someone's not around to hear, are you cursing them? Are you mocking them and making fun of them? Do you whisper funny things about people so they can't hear you, but you can share a laugh? Have you ever looked across a parking lot and made fun of somebody? I've led our family in doing that. We've had great fun. It's probably not a right thing to do. Verse 15 speaks about justice, right? You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now, obviously, this is directly applicable to courts and judges, and none of your judges, I don't think. But do you fight for justice? We live in a world of injustice. In our country, racial tensions are high. In many ways, because of injustice. There's a, a racial imbalance and prejudice that's there. Right? If you want to know about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. It is there, but do you, do you make attempts to stand up for the weak? To stand up for the injustices? Or here, are you partial to the poor? Do you simply defer to the great? In our one family worship meeting this week, we should try for every day, and we've been so busy, but we got together, I forget what day it was, Thursday, Friday. We read Luke 14, working through Luke, and 
Jesus said this. He said to a man who invited him to dinner, he said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I love the context of those words. Jesus was just invited to a feast and he's being entertained. And he says, yeah, don't don't invite the rich or the wealthy, but invite the poor, those who can't repay you. It's kind of like slamming the guy who's just invited him. He created a stir. But how often have you had the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind at your dinner table in your house? I think that's when we don't, we're giving preference to the rich. But the call here is don't give preference to the rich or the poor. And Jesus even extends it further. He says, maybe give preference to the poor, those who can't repay you and and lift them up and, and serve them in special ways that you can't do. They can't repay you. Uh, Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slander among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of of your neighbor. Uh, He's talking about those who are negative all the time. And the slandering is is saying something's untrue about somebody. But also, you know, there's there's this way that you can say something true that's hurtful. A a slander is one who's saying with an ill content to hurt. And there's lots of times you can say something truthful that's hurtful. Are you one always looking for faults? Always tearing someone down? I mean, that's, that's how the news gets their business, by the way, is to say bad things about everybody. So that you like, hear, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Because if they said, oh, look how good this person is. Oh, look at how good this person is. Oh, look. That was all. Nobody watch it. You'd be like, oh, good, good, good. When am I going to get? At least I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. And they're just always going out, tearing down, right? Speaking with ill intent. And so are, are, you, are you tearing down people or are you building them up? Directly applicable to us. That let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Ephesians 4.29 Not a single unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But the only words that proceed from your mouth should be those good for edification. To build your brother up. That it may give grace the time of need. How about verse 17? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Now, isn't this interesting? Old Testament ethic right here in the heart of Leviticus 19. Hating in your heart. Remember when Jesus said, you've heard it said, right? Don't do this. But I say, even if you hate someone in your heart, and it's, it's, it's right here, hating someone in your heart, just, just despising them, having feelings of hatred towards brother I'll just say this do you Are those in your family you despise yeah you have a have a have hatred and I think this is not just okay well do I love them or hate them I mean there is a continuum here where you can have a love-hate relationship right with somebody but yeah you know you just don't want it says don't hate your brother. And that, of course, then should extend to Christian brothers and sisters, people in the church. Room this size, there's certainly probably people who aren't getting along with each other because there's a hatred or despising one another. Or verse uh, 18, you shall not take vengeance or, or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. 
Don't bear a grudge against people. Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is God said we, we should be about giving and helping and loving and serving, not, not trying to take down. And, and you, know, you can see that all over where someone does something, someone reacts in a bad way. to try. Just, Be done with vengeance. Jesus says you're slapped on one cheek. Give him the other cheek. Slap here too. That's, that's righteous living. And then we come here to loving your neighbor. Ask yourself. This is the golden rule. Jesus said, Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so I just, how are you doing? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Do you love your wife as yourself, man? I mean, that's, that's a straight command, to love your wife. Do you love your kids as you love yourself, seeking the best for them, seeking to help them? Do you love your Christian brother or sister as you love yourself? But do you love your literal neighbor, your family next door, as you love yourself? Now, my, my guess is, and my hope and my try a little bit has been to just throw it out there and let, let the weight of sin kind of kind of get there and, and settle so that you, you see sins in, in the past or sins currently. Ho- hopefully more those have been dealt with, but sins currently maybe you're like, oh, I need, to, I need help in this area. I need grace in this area. Uh, Paul said in Romans 3.20 that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Uh, there is one purpose of a law is through the law is a, is a way to live. And through the law also would show you the way you're not living. And I hope it just draws you to Jesus. That's been my hope. But in case it hasn't worked yet, I have a story for you. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And when the conviction comes, I just go to Jesus. In fact, that's how we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? When we we see our weakness and see our sin, let's... Let's go to the one who fulfilled this in a greater way than, than all of us were ever able to do. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, this lawyer is not your Tom Wheatek kind of lawyer. This lawyer here is an expert in the law. Okay, this would be your seminary professor stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Pretty good answer, right? I think he stole from Jesus, but he still discerned what exactly was right. Or maybe Jesus stole from some of the, the teachers who got it exactly right. Loving God vertically, loving others horizontally. He got it right. Jesus ready to applaud him. Sort of, and Jesus, but Jesus said this, right? You've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, even what I said, loving God with all your heart, so minus three, loving your neighbor as yourself is all these ways I've described. Live that perfectly and you will live. Totally true statement, but none of us, of course, can do that. But he thought he could. And here's where his error was, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? Like, like is my neighbor... Just the person I, I live with? Um, maybe upstairs or maybe, maybe right here. It was certainly not two doors down or certainly not four doors down. Because he wanted to say, well, I've loved my family and I 
we've had these folks over here over for dinner and we've served these people because we have, um, you know, plowed their driveway, shoveled their driveway. And all these people across here, we help pick their weeds. And well, I've really helped and served my neighbor. So trying to justify himself, he said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus takes the definition of neighbor and just goes. And again, just to just to convict of sin, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and we saw him. He passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, from which we get the term Leviticus, right? a Levite, a righteous, holy priest, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, that half-breed scoundrel, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, the man discerned correctly. He said, of course, the, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So who's your neighbor? The one needing mercy. And I just think about these righteous priests and Levites. And they're just, I can't touch the sinful person there. I can't, can't touch that. Maybe I'm going to the worship service. I can't do that. Maybe I'm going to do my, my duties. I can't do that. I might touch the blood. And of course, blood is defiling. And these are righteous people. And they, they stood aloof. But the Samaritans, of course, the Samaritans are those who the Jews intermingled with um, the people of the land of Samaria. Despised people. But he was the one who basically showed compassion. And look at the time he took, right? He took him. He touched him. Bound his wounds. I mean, this is like real shoe leather sort of faith. Bound up his wounds, oil and wine on them, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, said, here, I'll pay, you know, I'll pay whatever it costs. Go ahead and take care of him. I got to go do my duty. And how many times have you seen someone stuck by the side of the road? You haven't picked him up. Jesus says, you're, you're not loving your neighbors yourself. I, I know that I'm stuck. I want to be picked up. You know, the day of cell phones, things are different. Right? The day of sexual predators, things are different. Um, and, and there's danger. There's real, real danger in that. But I, I guess, where's your Have you ever picked up a stranger? Maybe you should. Have you ever helped a stranger? Have you ever seen someone in need? You just have, have, your, have your need blinkers uh, available. And, and, and God will pierce your heart and say, oh, there's a need. And how many times you might just Pass that need by and go on. And, and as God convicts you, just say, you know what, that's sin. I need Jesus for mercy. Or you, or you might drive around the block and come help him. Right? Stephanie and I did that one day. It was snowy this winter time. We went, went by and this guy was stuck in the, stuck in the, he'd driven off the icy and went off the side of the road and kind of went by. And so Stephanie, let's, should we stop? I, I was going to go on. And then kind of God was convicting me. I said, should I do that? So we went around and we got out and um, we got in the snow and tried to push. It was Stephanie and I trying to push. And our example helped someone else come along and we pushed him out of the car and said, say goodbye. I don't know who he was. 
I'm not trying to lift myself up with that, but I'm just saying that initially I just said, no, we're not going to help that. He's got a cell phone. He can call a tow truck. But I'm thinking, that, you know what? But we just push out. He saves a tow truck call. He saves a lot of time. He can just push him out. It was easy to do. No, we're not picking him up. We're not taking him to our house. It was easy to do. We did. But there are many, many, many other times I've passed by someone and have not picked them up. So I'm not, I'm just saying, do you ever do that? And when it's safe and when you're, have opportunity, I would encourage you to do that. Well, are you loving God? Are you loving others? If the Lord has convicted you in, in any way, I just encourage you to, to go to the cross and seek Jesus for your help, help and forgiveness. Because that's why Jesus died. He died for every single time that we all failed to keep these commandments. You've got to see just what, what Jesus bore on the, on the cross was just huge. And so that's what we're going to remember again. Again, this week before Easter, we have this Sunday, next Sunday, and the next Sunday as we're leading up to Easter. Good Friday. We'll have a Good Friday service. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper again just in anticipation of what Jesus did to focus our attention upon the cross as He told us to. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray to the Lord. Oh, Father, I, I would pray... God, as the aim of my message this morning has been to convict of sin, God, is not to lift up my own righteousness, even confessing sin here on a number of occasions of what I have done. Father, as, as your weight of the law falls, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God, draw us to Jesus. Draw us to Christ where there's hope, O oh God. So I, I pray for hearts right now that are hard and, and battling with their own selfish desires and sin that's in their heart and in their mind. Lord, I, I pray, God, You'd grant repentance so we'd see real turning from sin this day, God, through this book of Leviticus, to live a, a more righteous life before You. God, because we love You, it's an expression of our love, it's an expression of our heart. Oh God, help us, we pray. And Lord, as we celebrate the Supper, I, I pray even here that we might not do it in an un, unworthy manner, in an unbelieving way. God, but may we, we take this bread and, and drink this cup, God, not meritorious, but realizing, acknowledging as we eat this, God, just saying, we need the body of Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus to atone for us and make us righteous. And God, and, and even taking this means that we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. If they're unrepentant souls here, God, I pray you'd convict just not to not to take. God, but may we take in joy again as we think and sing about the wonders of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that He fulfilled the law for us. We pray in His name. Amen.